Hello and welcome to this message from the river. We hope that this message from Pastor Billy Pate inspires and challenges you towards a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Billy Pate for another exciting message. Turn quickly with me, if you will, this morning to Philemon. That's where I'm going to be reading from. It's only one chapter, so if you miss the book, you miss the chapter. So uh, turn quickly to Philemon chapter 1, and uh, we're going to go there today, and I want to talk to you as I begin a new series this morning. I'm going to begin a new series called Seeking the Lost, Seeking the Lost. We're getting ready for Easter. Easter time is approaching us. And so we're already in thoughts and preparation getting ready for what God is going to do uh, through us on Easter Sunday. And so I'm going to be challenging you guys all over the next three weeks to really engage and ask God to give you a heart for evangelism, especially in this season uh, as we have the opportunity approaching Easter. People are receptive, they're ready. And they're looking for an opportunity to make things different in their lives. And so we as a church, we know what that opportunity is, don't we? And his name is Jesus Christ. And so we're excited about that. As Easter is approaching this past week, I met with our leadership team. And we set some goals for Easter and some things that we would like to see God do here for Easter. And so uh, I want to share those goals with you as we get ready to start looking toward Easter and getting ready for that. And as we begin to work towards evangelism and really reaching people, our goal for Easter Sunday is we want to have 400 in attendance on Easter Sunday. Can we do that? Only about four of you think we can do that. I said, I think we can do that. We've had 325 a couple of years, and now we're going to go for 400, and we believe God will give us that. And so I'm just asking you to pray for that, because out of that 400, we want to see 20 adult salvations and people come to Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what it's all about right there. And so we believe God's going to send the people, and out of those people, God's going to give us some salvations. And so our two goals, 400 for Easter, 20 salvations. And our strategy for accomplishing that is uh, the 641 project. Starting March the 9th, now many of you probably remember uh, previously when we did the 641 project. And so I'm going to take just a moment, and for those of you who may not be familiar with that, and just break that down because you, you know, look, if you have a, if you need a job, and you're looking for a job, do you just stand around hoping that somebody will come by and give you a job? Well, that might work out, and it might not. That's really not an effective strategy for getting a job, right? So, I mean, if you want a job, what's the best thing you can do? you got to go out and look for a job, right? I mean, now that is a novel concept to some people. I understand that. But for the most of us, we should understand that if we're looking for a job or we want a job, it's better for us to go look for it. There may be some come along and just land in your lap, but more than likely you're going to go and you're going to find one. Well, I believe we ought to employ that same strategy when it comes to Easter and when it comes to winning the people for the Lord. We can wait for somebody to just drop into our lap and we might win one from time to time and it might work out. But if we actively seek after people and we actively go after those that are lost, we have a much more uh, high return of our energy and and our efficiency when we do that. Amen? Amen. And so we believe that we ought to employ a strategy for doing that. Our strategy for reaching the lost is the 641 Project. This is how it works. The way it works is this. We ask that everybody, six weeks prior to Easter, which is March 9th, 
We're going to launch a strategy to win people and bring people to Christ. Weeks one and two, we ask you to identify four people to go after. We ask you just to identify four people that you know aren't going to church, that live within driving distance of the church, and we're going to ask you to just begin to pray for those. Say, God, give me four people on my heart, lay them on my heart, and I'm going to pray for them over the next two weeks, and I'm going to ask that you just soften their heart that you just bring along the Holy Spirit to nudge them towards you and that you break down walls and any barriers that are keeping them from accepting and acknowledging you as Lord and Savior of life. So the first two weeks, that's what we're going to do. We're just going to pray and we're going to ask God to give us four people on our heart. Weeks three and four, what we do is we ask everybody to invest in those people. We believe this. We believe the love of Jesus Christ breaks down walls. And that when we share the love of Jesus Christ, there is no greater testimony or no greater witness to what he does in a person's life than that being expressed when we show love and acts of kindness to other people. And so we're going to ask you to do something kind for them. We're not asking you to pay their mortgage payment or anything lavish, but we may ask you to go help them when they're mowing their yard, when they're cleaning up weeds, or when they're they're doing something around their house. Just do something that gives freely to them and expects nothing in return. Watch their kids... Do something for them that they desperately need done in their lives. Just show them that you care about them. And then weeks five and six, we're asking you to simply invite them. We're asking you to invite them to join us for church on Easter Sunday. And so it's six weeks, six weeks, let me do that right, six weeks, four lives, one day, and that's why we call it the 641 Project. And so we're asking everybody to begin to pray now and ask God to just incite a desire and a heart for evangelism because over the next three weeks, this is what we're going to focus on because I do believe it's a biblical mandate from God, don't you? That Jesus clearly said, Go therefore into all the world, baptizing disciples and making them into, into followers of Jesus Christ, didn't he? And so that's what we're going to do. And so we're just going to be talking about that over the next few weeks. And I'm going to give you that charge to this church to reach the loss. So today I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit different to start the service. I'm going to ask everybody that is willing over the next three weeks to just be attentive to what the Lord might say to you through the messages I'm going to preach on seeking the lost. If you're going to be attentive and listen to what the Lord says through this series and then also in, in, in respond and also respond to him, whatever he's saying to you, for you to do, I'm going to ask you to stand with me as I pray over this message this morning. If you're willing to listen and respond to what the Lord is asking you to do over the next three weeks, will you do that? Amen. Father, thank you, Lord Jesus. You see the commitment here that, Lord, over the next three weeks, we're going to listen, and we're going to listen to what you have to say, and then we're going to respond to it, Father. I believe this, God, that your heart is for the lost. And that, Lord, if your heart would beat in each and every one of us, that, Lord, we would see lives transformed, lives saved, lives brought to the kingdom of God, Lord, and we would see them released out of the chains of darkness, God, and brought into a relationship with the Savior. Father, I pray for your blessing and your anointing upon this service this morning. Challenge us, move us, God. Stir us up to reach someone for Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. You can be seated this morning. Today I want to preach to you out of the first part of that series with a message entitled, The Debt. The Debt. Our text in Philemon 1 is a story of Onesimus and Philemon. And Onesimus was a slave of Philemon. And uh, what we find in the letter that Paul writes to Philemon is that Onesimus has ran away And in the time that he's ran away, he's given his life to Jesus Christ as a convert of Paul's. Paul's won him to the Lord. Later on, 
he is struggling with the fact that he is a runaway slave and now he needs to go back to his master. But Paul writes to Philemon and he says to him, he says, look, I know that he's run away and he may have done some things that he shouldn't have done, but what I'm asking you to do is forgive him. I'm asking you to whatever he owes you, whatever, whatever you feel like you've been done wrong, I want you to put it on my account. I want you to put it on me. Don't, don't, don't hold it against him, but you put it on me. And so we're going to look at that today, and we're going to look a little deeper into what Paul's writings say to us and teach us about carrying the burden of someone else. Bearing the burden of someone else. Philemon 1 and 1 says, Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our brother, beloved friend, and fellow laborer. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. The first thing I want us to recognize this morning is that we owe a debt to the Savior. We owe a debt to our Savior. Any person that's sitting on the seat this morning that has a relationship with Jesus Christ, you owe a debt to your Savior. There was a debt that I owed that I could not pay. And He came down and He washed that debt away and He cleansed me and He saved my soul. That's what Jesus has done for us. We owe Him a debt. Paul addresses himself in this passage as a prisoner of Christ Jesus as he begins in verse 1. And then he also addresses himself as that yet again at the end of verse 9. I believe that for Paul, this was a deeply ingrained, deeply imprinted upon the heart of Paul. This was something that he just saw himself as was a sold-out prisoner of Jesus Christ. You say, well, that's not a very good term of endearment. Well, he loved the Lord with all of his heart. He understood that his life was not his own, that Jesus had paid a great sacrifice for him, that he had shed his blood at Calvary's cross, so that he could have the opportunity that he has today. And so Paul looked at his life as though an investment back into the very process of salvation. He looked at his life as though he owed it fully to Jesus Christ. And I would just challenge each and every one of us today to understand that we owe a debt to our Savior. Our life is not our own anymore. You have been bought with a price, and that price needs to be paid out through a living sacrifice of service and dedication to the king. Somebody say amen. Amen. Paul understood this. Paul remembers where he was on that road to Damascus when a Savior full of grace came and intervened in his life. He understood that the Damascus road was a crossroads that completely changed the trajectory of his life. He understood that he was headed in one direction, but Jesus came and stopped him dead in his tracks and changed the trajectory of his life and moved him into a place of purpose and destiny. Paul remembers what he was before Christ's intervention. He remembers how he was mean, calloused, lacking the heart, of the very God that he claimed to serve. But on that day, hallelujah, as he journeyed toward Damascus, God showed up, freed him from the prison of himself and established him a new identity and a new purpose in Jesus Christ. And now here we have Paul some years later. He sits in prison in a Roman jail for the sake of the very Christ that he serves. And he sits in prison not begrudgingly or with disdain for Christ, but with an acute understanding of the indebtedness 
of his life to a Savior that stepped into the scene of his life and places him on a pathway toward destiny and eternity. Because of that, Paul understands that he is a servant, he is a slave, he is, yes, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And he intends to spend his life paying a debt owed for redemption and rescue. And I would just say to everybody in the place this morning, you too, you too, you also owe the Savior a great debt. Many of you in this place today have come to a crossroads at one point or another in your life. You remember where you were when the Savior came and found you. You remember what it was like your life prior to Jesus intervening in your life and changing the trajectory of your life. You remember how you were a sinner Lost to a world of sin, a slave to your enemy. But Jesus found you on the journey to your own personal Damascus. And he stepped into the scene of your life. And he placed you on a pathway toward your destiny and your eternity. We need to remember that. Hallelujah. Some of us, I would just say, some of us probably in the house been saved too long to remember what we used to be. And it's good for us to go back from time to time and remember what it was like to kneel at Calvary's cross and to hold in in my eyes the image of a Jesus who was willing to die and sacrifice himself for me. To refresh myself with the reality of Calvary. We owe the Savior a great debt because of what he's done. We owe him our lives. He requires our lives not in death, but as a living sacrifice. We owe him our lives spent paying off the debt of redemption and rescue by repeating for others what he has so graciously done for me. And I would just say this morning to you, if he has sent, if Jesus was sent to save that which was lost, so am I. If Jesus was sent to save and to seek out that which was lost, then so am I. If he stepped on the scene of my life in order to shift the trajectory of where I was heading, then I must do the same for others. My spiritual mandate, my debt to the Savior, is to divert the lost from a path of destruction to a path of salvation. This is my debt that I owe to my Savior. And yes, I am Billy Payton, and I also am a prisoner of Jesus Christ this morning. Just like you. Just like you. The second thing I want us to look at is in verse 10. It says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart. Verse 16. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? The second thing I want you to recognize this morning is to recognize the debt of the sinner. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is what? It's death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Onesimus is a slave. He is a slave to Philemon. Paul doesn't refute this. Paul doesn't argue this. But he acknowledges this truth in his letter to Philemon. He says in verse 11, who was once unprofitable you to you, but now is profitable to you. 
Onesimus is saved as a result of Paul's ministry and as, as a result of Paul's work. Paul recognizes that once he was an unprofitable person, he had nothing to offer. But because of redemption, because of salvation, value has been added to him now. Paul says in verse 12, I'm sending him back to you. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart. Paul is saying to Philemon, receive him now as a brother, just as you would receive me. You treat him just like you would treat me. Because he is birthed out of my ministry. He is reproduced out of my ministry. He is duplicated as, as a result of what I have put my efforts into. And I want you to receive him as you would receive me. The debt of the sinner is this, that they are all slaves to sin. And all are in bondage to darkness. They are unprofitable, lacking value in their current condition. This is the debt of the sinner. But this is the charge of Christians. To appeal the current condition. To receive them as brothers and sisters in Christ. To add value. Move them from an unprofitable place in life to a place of value and worth in the kingdom of God. Paul in this scripture acts as an extension of Jesus. He is the advocate for this man bound up in debt and in slavery. Paul says, receive him as my own heart. I can say to you without a doubt that the heart of the Savior is to pay the debt of the sinner. It is the heart of the Savior for his people to seek the lost and see them released from the prison of darkness. Everybody in this place knows people who need Jesus. And if by chance you don't know anyone that needs Jesus, then I would say you're too isolated. And you need to have some relationships with some people that desperately need Jesus Christ. You all know somebody. The heart of the Savior for the lost needs to beat in our chests. It needs to beat in our chests. It needs to keep me up at night from time to time. A city that's dying and going to hell ought to stir my heart at some level. There is a world indebted to sin who needs an advocate to step into the situation and lead them to the Savior. And who will help them if we don't? No one. Verse 18 says, But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand, and I will repay. What a beautiful passage. Paul takes upon himself the burden of this man who is indebted and who is in, engraved in a life of slavery. And the third thing I want you to recognize this morning is there is a debt of the saint. The debt of the saint. Paul says to Philemon, whatever is owed by Onesimus, I will gladly pay. Add his debt to my account. He says, I sign it with my own hand and I commit to be what? The underwriter of his debt. Whatever he owes, I will guarantee it to be paid. Don't bother him anymore. Don't be calling him with creditor calls. You just call me because I'll take care of it. I'm underwriting this whole deal. And I would just say to you this morning, I want you to think back in your life. Someone paid a debt for me. Someone paid a debt for you. And I recognize it is my debt to cover what someone else owes as a result. 
Someone paid the price for my salvation. Yes, it was a Savior on on Calvary's Hill 2,000 years ago, but it's more than just a Savior. There was people that cried for you, people that, that prayed for you on a regular basis, people that brought you to church, people that invested their lives in you. And for those you owe a debt to do the same for someone else. My salvation cost me nothing, but that does not mean it was free. I'm going to say it again. I said my salvation did not cost me anything, but that does not mean it was free. Someone paid the debt for me somewhere. A Savior died for me, but someone somewhere prayed for me. Someone led me to a Savior. Someone paid my debt by interceding and diverting me toward Jesus Christ. You say to me today, I don't owe any sin or anything. Oh, yes, you do. Oh, yes, you do this morning. You owe them the same thing that somebody did for you. You owe the same regard for their life and their soul that somebody regarded you for, that cared for you and gave their energy and efforts to see you come to Jesus Christ. Oh, yes, you do owe them something. This salvation is not free. I said this salvation is not free. It costs the church every day of its life living and toiling and working and striving to make a way for people to come to Jesus Christ. It costs our Savior a rugged road to Calvary's cross, back straps upon His back, beaten and bruised so that we can have what we have today. We'll not cheapen it in this house by saying it costs nothing because it costs so much. It costs the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You owe them. You owe them. You owe them the willingness to seek them out. You owe them the willingness to discover them and share with them the salvation you so freely received. Romans 3.24 says this, being justified freely by His grace through redemption, that is in Jesus Christ. Matthew 10.8 says, freely you have received, freely give. Someone bore the burden for you and you have been charged to bear the burden for someone else. That is the debt we bear as the saints and sons of the King of Kings. I ask Amber to come to the piano this morning in Philemon's, Philemon 1.19. It says, And I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. He says, I will repay, not to mention to you, listen to this, not to mention to you, that you, Philemon, owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. In a twist here in the story, we find that not only had Paul won Onesimus to the Lord, years ago, prior to, he had also won Philemon to the Lord. And he says to him, look, I'm asking you to forgive sin and forgive debt of someone else. Why? Because you remember, it wasn't that long ago that I did that for you and now I'm asking you to do it for somebody else today. We stand on the shoulders of others who have gone before us. We owe them our lives. And as a result of paying that debt, we owe our service and our heart of evangelism to the people that are lost 
and we redeem them by doing what has been done for us. It is the charge that Jesus has given us. And I just challenge you as we we move forward to, to this time of the year and this season that as sons and daughters of the King, we understand that we owe a debt for the status that we enjoy. We owe our King the debt of being His sons and daughters. And that debt is paid throughout our lives by giving Him more sons and more daughters. Paul says in verse 21, Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. God has confidence in this church. I said God has confidence in this church. He knows that His true sons and daughters recognize the debt we owe to our Savior, the debt the sinner has upon their lives, and the debt embraced by the saints to deliver sons and daughters into the kingdom of God. This is the debt that we all share for our salvation as disciples of Jesus. We hope you have enjoyed and been encouraged by this message. We would love for you to join us at the river on Sunday mornings at 9.45 for Sunday school and at 10.30 for morning worship. We also provide our midweek service for all ages on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you would like to support the various ministries at the river, please go to our giving tab. We would love for you to visit us at 1110 South Preston Street in Burkrenet, Texas. And as always, we encourage you to come experience life with us at the river. Till I found myself face down on your shore. You say, Come to the